Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Ottawa, Donald Cowboy Cerrone versus Ally Kinta. And Shaq, it's going down this weekend in Canada. Cowboy Cerrone in another main event, this time against Ally Kinta. Donald Cerrone, I mean, I think this guy's got to be a UFC, a future UFC Hall of Famer with all the records he's got. They used to call him Mr. Short Notice back in the day, man. This guy's a legend, and now he's getting to fight one of the, arguably one of the most underrated guys at 155, Raging Ally Kento. It's going to be a really good fight. Yeah, man, I look forward to breaking this down. Obviously, anytime the Cowboy fights, it's a sight to see. I mean, most wins in UFC history, most fights in UFC history. Might even have the most finishes in UFC history, too. Definitely up there with the performance bonuses as well. And joining us for a second week in a row, as you guys know, we always listen to what the fans have to say. The fans let us know we want Ian Parker back on half the battle. Well, you got it because Ian Parker is back on half the battle right here, right now. Ian, what's going on, man? The fans ask, the fans shall receive. Let's do this, boys. I can't wait. I got my boy, Ally Quinta, ready to show the world what's going on. Another step to the title. Pretty solid card overall, but I'm honored to be back with you guys. Man, the pleasure is all ours, and uh, let's get right down to business, gentlemen, because first up in the Bantamweight division, we got Mitch Gagnon, he's 12-4, and four, and Cole Smith is 6-0. and oh. Currently, they got Mitch Gagnon minus 115, Cole Smith is minus 105, so Shaq, uh, obviously, Mitch Gagnon has only fought once in the last five years. It was against Matthew Lopez. Prior to that, he had that performance against Henan Burrell, which uh, we all remember, <laughs> where he had the max effort, and uh, let's just put it this way. There's only been two people that Burrell has beat since the beatings he took from TJ Dillashaw. Felipe the male nurse Nover <laughs> and uh, Mitch Gagnon. Ronda Rousey fought more recently than Mitch Gagnon. And now Mitch is making his return against the newcomer Cole Smith. Cole's a very tall bantamweight. He's six feet tall. He looks to take the back. Uh, who are you going with, man? You going with the vet Mitch or are you going with the newcomer Cole Smith? Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen uh, Mitch Gagnon. I mean, I remember this guy from, you know, five, six years ago when he was making his come up. He was a prospect back then. I remember his fight with Caraway. He got fight of the night. He was on a three or four fight winning streak. But then uh, he ran into Hennon. He took a big layoff, then came back versus Lopez. Got smashed on, and now he's coming back off another two-year layoff. So, you know, there's a good argument that Mitch Gagnon's on his way out. I mean, that's just facts. Cole Smith, like you said, long bantamweight, really long bantamweight. He's a specialist in taking the back and just pretty much riding out. I kind of compare him to, you know, a Jeremy Kennedy. You know, he's real slim, but uh, he smothers you, and uh, he uses that long frame to, you know, control these shorter guys. So, you know, we had we did see Mitch Gagnon get his back taken a bunch in his last fight against Lopez. Now, I know Lopez is a, a nasty champion high school wrestler the four-time state champion so we'll give credit where it's due but I gotta go with Cole Smith here man I just think he's the younger fresher guy I think Mitch has a foot out the door wouldn't surpri surprise me if it went the other way but I gotta go with Cole Smith man I think Mitch uh, is from like I said that old era at Bantamweight the, the very first introduc uh, introduction to the UFC you know that way back then so I see Cole Smith coming out here and either riding him out with the back control or just uh getting a quick sub so Ian, uh, which uh, band and what you taking for this matchup? Yeah, I'm with Shaq on this one. I just, you know what, even if Cole wasn't anything special, it's just, how can you pick Mitch Gagnon in anything other than pronouncing his name maybe incorrectly, not French enough, not Canadian enough? You know, that's really the only way I would go there. Um, I think at once he was a really decent prospect. You know, his build was there and structure for the division. His stand-up wasn't bad. Ground game pretty strong, but unfortunately, he's running into a guy – in Cole, who I just, 
it's going to be trouble for this division. You know, it was a good comparison of Jeremy Kennedy. I really do like him in this matchup. I'm, I'm a little surprised that he is, the, I guess you could call the underdog at the moment. But otherwise, yeah, I got, I got Cole Smith in this one. I just, Mitch Gagnon, he, he's on the way out. You can't, you can't really, two years and then you're coming back, ah, doesn't work for me. If you're going to bet this fight, it's got to be Cole Smith. I agree with you, boys. I mean, look, Mitch Gagnon, I wasn't impressed with him back in 2014, so I don't see why it'd be any different in 2019. I mean, it's not like this is a young kid making improvements. This is a man who's going to be 35 on his next birthday. And not saying that someone of that age can't perform because we've seen it many times, but I just don't think uh, Mitch Gagnon's got it. And that's the bottom line. And, you know, people go out there and praise his performance against Hennon Burrell, but the reality is that, I mean, Mitch basically exerted 100% in that fight. He tried as hard as he could. Hannon was just sitting back chilling, and it still wasn't good enough. And uh, I don't think it's going to be good enough in 2019 either. I'm going to go with the very tall Cole Smith to take the back of Mitch Gagnon and either control him to a decision or uh, choke him out. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Arjan Bular. He's 8-1, and and Juan Adams is 5-0. and Currently, Juan Adams is minus 115, and Arjan Bular is minus 105. Well, Shaq, you going with the D1 wrestler Juan Adams, or are you going with the former Olympic wrestler Arjan Bular? Yeah, this is a good matchup. You know, Juan Adams, he's a new face. He's got the new look. He's one of these uh, new heavyweights that we're not used to. So seems like there's a, a fairly decent amount of hype on him. Bueller, we know uh, for the most part, man, this guy's taking care of business besides that one fluke L against uh, Shiva down there in uh, Arizona. And, I mean, he bounced back well with that nice performance against Marcel, Marcelo Gohm, walked him down. He's got good pressure, good boxing, good cardio. We know he's a, an Olympic wrestler. And, you know, Adams, I feel like, man, he's so new in this game that he really hasn't seen the realities of the game at all, man. I feel like he's pretty much, you know, fought five cans. And, uh, you know, his fight with De La Roca, you know, he had a good first round. But that second round, man, when you saw him get a little tired, you saw how sloppy his boxing was. You know, honestly, I don't think the kid's skills are there quite yet. I think he'll go on to have a good career but I feel like Bueller should be favored in a matchup like this I feel like he's more experienced better cardio better boxing better wrestling yeah he's gonna be outsized there a little bit but I really see him capitalizing and uh just Juan's mistakes on the feet man this guy fights with his chin up in the air and you know when you're fighting guys like Sean Teed and De La Roca you know uh De La Roca's a part-time fighter you know uh I think uh that Bueller's gonna actually have one of his better performances here so I got Bueller for uh, a finished victor Ian, uh, which highly credentialed wrestler are you going with in this heavyweight matchup? You know, it's, um, well, one, one of the things Shaq mentioned about being a part-time fighter, I think there's probably way more of these part-time fighters that we're probably <laughs> aware of or, or we're too aware of it. That could be the real problem with the way the sport is this, these days. Um, all right, so here, here's where I'm kind of leaning. You know, I, I agree with Shaq in mostly everything in regards to the credentials. You know, here, here's the only thing, though, about Adams, right, is that you can't blame him for who they've put in front of him so far in regards to his relationship with the UFC. I think they're kind of doing it the right way. Um, they're doing it ass backwards to the way they're doing Greg Hardy. You know, they are feeding Greg Hardy on a co-main event, these guys that really don't belong anywhere wearing gloves, as opposed to Juan Adams, they're giving guys who are really at this stage of the game on that part of the card who he should be fighting. Bueller does have the experience, but the one thing that we're learning at heavyweight, especially now, at first when Kane had his, you know, his run where everyone was like, he could be the greatest of all time, maybe he is, it was a speed factor, right? It was a quickness, it was the wrestling. Now, we're starting to see some of these bigger guys make a comeback because of their athleticism. 
I think Juan Adams might be a little bit more athletic. Uh, the cardio does, I, and Dan, I know you and I spoke about this. The cardio does kind of worry me a little bit with him. However, first time really being, you know, on camera within a UFC card, maybe it was an adrenaline dump. You know, I, I don't know. I, for some reason, my gut is telling me Adams. I don't love the pick. Um, I just think that his size is gonna is probably gonna help him stuff to take down. And I think his power shots are gonna matter. You know, Roka, Roka took a lot of shots. A lot of guys would have probably died with some of those punches. So I think maybe he doesn't get enough credit for being able to take like a real beating, maybe just his toughness. I don't love the pick, but I'm going to go the younger, fresher, bigger Adams in this pick. I'm going to go on the opposite side, man. I mean, I think Juan Adams has all the physical tools, and I think he looks the part, looks extremely scary, six foot five talking about how he's going to weigh in at 295 pounds on fight day. And for some people, that's like, oh, man, he's going to have this big weight advantage. For me, it's like I view that as he's undisciplined. He's he's going to have an extreme weight cut. And uh, just like we saw in his last fight, uh, the one time he went past the first round, he gassed badly. And, you know, we talk about how he handles these guys accordingly. I don't think he handled Chris De La Roca accordingly, man. I thought that was a that that fight could have headlined an NFC card, man. I thought that that was some regional level shit. And with Arjan Bueller, yeah, you know he did get uh, Uma plotted by uh, by uh, Adam Wieserek, but I'll give anyone listening twenty to one odds that uh, Juan Adams ain't about to Uma plot a shit. So I mean, I think the first uh, couple minutes of this fight, there's obviously a chance that Juan Adams can knock out Arjan Bueller. Look, this is heavyweight. These guys hit very hard, four-ounce gloves. But the longer this fight goes, I see Arjan's pace is wrestling being too much. And, you know, we talk about, well, Juan Adams is D1. Yeah, he's D1, but let, let, let's let's relax a little bit. This guy never placed. And I got all the respect in the world for anyone that's a D1 athlete. But to act like this guy was some national champ or, you know, a top 100. or He, he wasn't anywhere near that. I mean, it was literally because he's a six foot five uh, heavyweight that he made it. Uh, you know, they had five people on his team, man. So it, it is what it is. Uh, I, I got Arjan Bueller here via decision. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Matt Sales. He's 7-2. and two. And Kyle Nelson is 12-2. and two. Currently, they got Matt Sales minus 225. The comeback on Kyle Nelson is plus 185. Well, Shaq, uh, there's one thing we know about this matchup is these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. Uh, Kyle Nelson, obviously, he's got that one-punch knockout power. Matt Sales, uh, he's more of a smooth striker in the pocket. Which way are you leaning? Yeah, it's going to be a good fight, man. Uh... I think both guys had good showing in their UFC debuts, even though they both took L's. One thing that jumps out to me is Sales is going to be at a size disadvantage here. I mean, Nelson is probably as big as it gets for 145 pounds. He's real long. I think he's 5'11", 6 foot. You know, Sales might be 5'6", uh, 67 and a half inch reach so you know he's gonna be outrange he's gonna be uh you know definitely outsized in this one but i will say sales in my opinion definitely is the better fighter skill wise pretty much across the board you know i feel like nelson's a tough guy but you know he seems even though he only has four ko's seems like he's a he's a finish hunter you know it looks like he's trying to crowd guys and uh use his power but you know Sales is far more technical than him. You know, I feel like Sales' issue, possibly in this fight and moving on, is that he's going to be outsized. Just like how you saw in his fight with Shaman Marais. You know, him and Shaman Marais were going technique for technique, blow for blow. But because Shaman's was more powerful, because, you know, his shot sounded a lot more harder, he was able to get that uh, close decision victory. You know, Sales did very well in that third round, ended up getting to Shaman kind of breaking him really bad. So I, I do feel like this fight could possibly be lined closer just due to the fact that Sales is really small in comparison to Nelson. And 
Nelson, man, don't be shocked if he hits you behind the ears and this thing's over. We saw him put down a, a tough guy like Carlos Diego Ferrer. I mean, we don't have to say that guy's resume. And I feel like it's a close fight, but I do feel like Nelson could possibly gas out in the second and third rounds after possibly a good first round. I see this being a back and forth fight. I'll go with Sales by a close decision victory. I think he'll probably put it on Nelson late. It's kind of similar how he, how he did against Shaman, but uh, I, I do feel like it could be lying closer. Ian, uh, which exciting featherweight prospect do you think gets their first UFC win here in Ottawa? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to check on this one. I think it's Sales. You know, I think the one thing that I, I am shocked at how deep that line is at my, what do you say, minus 225 and things what I saw it too. To me, I would have thought Sales would have been like a more like a minus 155 just based on his fight with um, Shaman Marais. You know, I mean, I think Shaq really said it best. Nelson's bigger. Uh, I think Sales is more technical. I do think he's a little bit more athletic. I do think that Sales, though, is going to have trouble down the line. You know, listen, again, speed is one thing, but look at, you know, I, I hate it. I mean, I don't really want to compare Max Holloway, but Max Holloway jumping a 55 against someone like Dustin Poirier, look at the difference in the, when the punches were coming in, how hard they were, you know, how much power was really there, and what your punches weren't doing to the other person. That is going to be a constant problem for Matt Sales at this weight class. However, I do think due to the technical striking, I think his cardio is better. And Shaq, I think you said it best. I think Nelson kind of fades a little bit after the first round, and that's when Sales really puts it on him. I'm going to go with Sales as well. This kid, Kyle Nelson, he hits like a truck. And uh, like Shaq said, if you're not on your P's and Q's, if you think this is a joke, if you think it's kind of cute, don't be surprised when you wake up looking up at the lights and they got to bring in the smelling salts because uh, Kyle Nelson does hit like a truck. But that being said, Matt Sales just fought a guy who also hits like a truck in Shaman Marais. And Matt Sales is the kind of guy that, yeah, he's smaller for the weight class, but very smart out there. Uses the head movement, his footwork. Definitely emulates a guy like Dominic Cruz. So he's just got to be super careful in that first round because not only does Kyle Nelson hit harder, but Kyle Nelson is the much bigger man in this spot and you know for Kyle Nelson to drop to 45 I mean he had to run extra miles he had to look out for his diet so I expect a more conditioned version of Kyle Nelson in this spot the thing is when Matt Sale starts digging into the body when he starts accumulating that volume that could be a problem for Kyle Nelson so I think it's KO or bust for Kyle Nelson and I'll lean with Matt Sales to either get a third round TKO or a decision victory now next up in the welterweight division we got Nordin Taleb versus Kyle Prepolek Nordin Taleb Minus 345, the comeback on Kyle Prepolek is plus 285. And Nordin Taleb is 14 and 6. Kyle Prepolek is 12 and 5. Well, Kyle Prepolek goes from uh, fighting Cody Fister to now uh, he's getting that UFC call. This is basically his welterweight debut. And man, is he taking on a big welterweight in Nordin Taleb here, Shaq? I feel like this is just a case of uh, Nordin needed an opponent on short notice, so they, they called the, the, the guy that lives closest. So I think Prepolek, how he does from here on out, who knows? But I think Nordin's going to just uh, kind of similar to the in-camp fight, just play it safe, you know, kick his legs, teach the kid a lesson, send him on his way home with a rude UFC welcome, and uh, get back on track because he, he needs to get back on track. Yeah, Ian, you going with the favorite Nordin Taleb here or going with uh, the newcomer Kyle Prepolek? I'm actually a Talib fan, uh, Nordin Talib fan in general. I, I think this is somebody who just has not hit his full potential yet. You know, he's big for the weight class. His kicking is, he's got great striking. Love his kicking ability. I feel bad for Prep Black coming into I, I Listen, from managing guys, I will tell you, taking fights on short notice is one thing. Taking a fight on short notice against a guy like this sucks. Yeah. You know, and I will tell you, the pressure is really going to be on Nordin Talib because you know, if he takes this fight too easy, now Shaq, to your point, like one of those in camps where you kind of play it safe and conservative, 
At the same time, Talib's got to make the most of this opportunity, right? Because if he sits there and plays it safe, the UFC and Dana can be like, yeah, what the fuck are you doing? We just gave you a squash. Like, go, go squash him, you know, so we can get you a better fight. Because they do like this guy. If he doesn't go out there and fight this guy like he's fighting for a belt, it's going to make him look soft. If he doesn't finish his fight in the first round, it's going to bring down his stock value, especially being at minus, what do you say, it was minus 365 or minus 400 at this point, which I'm sure he'll get to or already was there. I think Nordine's going to absolutely destroy this guy. I give Prep like a lot of props uh, and credit for jumping in the short notice. Not an easy task. Talib is very well-rounded. This is a rough fight. Nordine's going to kill him. I'm, I'm terrified, terrified for, uh, for Prep. <laughs> you know, interestingly enough, this fight actually opened a pick him with a lean on uh, Kyle Prepleg, and that wasn't a bookie error or anything. It was just a bad line, and obviously sharp action came in and steamed Nordin Taleb to where he is now. He's, you know, three and a half to four to one across the board, where he should be in. You know, people talk about how, oh, Nordin's been pulling stunts. I mean, let, let's talk about who he's been pulling stunts again against Claudio Silva, who also beat Leon Edwards, and Sean Strickland, who is 20-3. I mean, Kyle Prepolek, he, uh, he hasn't seen anything remotely close to this. I know at least what he has going for him is that he has fought UFC vets, but when we talk about the UFC vets he's fought, I know someone's going to be like, oh, he fought Kevin Lee. Yeah, he fought Kevin Lee when Kevin Lee was 3-0. and If you think that's the Kevin Lee we see today, you're very highly mistaken. But the most recent uh, UFC vets he fought were... Uh, he went out there against Cody Fister, who... Cody Fister's that guy you're supposed to run through. Why in the second round is Cody Fister taking Kyle Prepoleg's back? I'm like, oh my God, Kyle. The kid's a 55er. Look, he's exciting. He's got a nice left high kick. He's got a nice overhand. I mean, if Nordine thinks this is some kind of joke, he could get knocked out, but Nordine's distance is too good. His Muay Thai, his kicks, and obviously he did most of this camp over in Thailand at Tiger Muay Thai. You see how guys have been looking, uh, training over there. You saw what my boy Khalil Roundtree's on these days. Now, I'm not saying that 37-year-old Taleb's going to come out here a new man, but man, he's just too technical for this kid. He's too experienced for him, and more importantly, he's too big for him, man. This uh, kid, Prepoleg, is more among the lines of a 55, or maybe even in the UFC we should be talking 45s, but 170 is an exaggeration. I think uh, Nordin Taleb gives Kyle Prepoleg the vet lesson here. Now next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Vincent Morales, he's 8-3, and three, and Eamon Zahabi is 7-1. and one. Currently, they got Eamon Zahabi, minus 150. The comeback on Vince Morales is plus 130. Well, Shaq, Vince Morales had one of the best fights in Contender Series against Domingo Pilarte. A very exciting fight. Shit didn't go his way in his debut. I mean, obviously, when you're fighting a guy like Song Yadong and you're not quite on his level, you know what's going to happen. But here against Eamon Zahabi, he's got a chance to go against someone coming off a two-year layoff, coming off a devastating knockout loss. Do you think that's enough for Vince Morales to come out here and get his first UFC win? I feel like Vince's last fight is kind of a similar situation to what Nordine, you know, possibly could uh, be doing this weekend. You know, he fought Song, and Song kind of played it really safe against him. I mean, it was very short notice. And uh, Morales hung in there for three rounds. His fight with Pilarte, like you said, was super exciting. Back and forth, he, he dropped Pilarte, but ended up getting rear naked choked into the second round. So... Zahabi, man, it's been a minute since we've seen him. You know, last time he fought, man, Ricardo uh, 
put him out stiff, man. That was a vicious, vicious KO loss. I do think he took the right amount of time off. Uh, one thing about Sahabi is, you know, he's neither neither guy's really too good at in any particular area. But I will say Sahabi, he's an effort guy. You know, it seems like he tries really hard to win. So he does move forward. You saw when he fought Heginaldo Vieira, he was able to take advantage of uh, Vieira's cardio disadvantage just with a with a high high work rate. You know, he's he's really stiff. He doesn't really move his head. Morales, on the other hand, isn't the best athlete but he's just a tough guy man so I do see this fight being really close I, I agree with, with uh, where it's lying because you know Zahabi is coming off a bad KOL man so you don't know and you know he is also a coach when you come off a L like that you know maybe him, him in particular might not have that same motivation so I do think he's going to get a close decision victory I think Morales is probably going to get tied up a little bit against the fence possibly held down briefly I do think he'll land an occasional big shot but I, I see you know Zahabi Especially with that last name, uh, getting a close decision victory in Canada. Ian, uh, who do you think gets back on track here in the featherweight division? Well, one thing I want to tell uh, all the listeners out there and all the guys that pay for your picks, home court advantage is a real thing when it comes to MMA. It is a real <laughs> fucking thing. Um, I don't know if that really plays uh, a factor here. It might, but Shaq pretty much broke it down almost 99.9% perfectly. I'm just saying that so I have a little bit of room to speak about something. You know, you really hit it. I think the biggest point, best point you made was the fight IQ of Zahabi, where he comes from, who his brother is, what he does. I think Morales, and I think he's a better athlete. And like you said, he may not be great in anywhere specifically, but what he is great at is pretty much not necessarily playing to his advantage, but fighting to his opponent's disadvantage. And I think cardio is going to be a big play here. I think that Morales gets way too aggressive in moments, as we've seen. I think he always wants to go for the big play. And... You know, I think in this day and age with the sport, it's good to have that finishing mentality, that kind of killer instinct like a Dustin Poirier. But if you've watched Dustin Poirier over the years, that killer instinct has become more of an intelligent instinct where you see the guy hurt, you don't go and blow your low and try to knock him out. You pick your shots. You wait for your moment. Morales doesn't know how to do that yet in his career, and that's why he keeps – this is what's happening. This is why he is where he is. I think Zahabi wins. I just think he's going to play the fight way more intelligently. He needs to get this win. He'll have a good plan coming into this. He's not, he's not a guy that – he won't take any really bad risks that will put him in a compromising position to lose. I think he's just going to, based on his intelligence alone, he'll win this by decision. <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, introduced this as a featherweight fight. It's actually in the bantamweight division. But, man, I mean, you guys said it well. I mean – Everyone listening, you know who this guy's brother is, right? It's Faraz Zahabi, uh, one of the best game planners in the history of the sport. And this really strikes me as the kind of matchup where Eamon and Faraz were probably sitting down looking at the UFC roster and they're like, who's a guy that you know we don't have to take too many risks against and we can go out there, play it safe, win an easy decision? And they're like, oh, here's Vince Morales who literally just tries to throw big bombs. I mean, look, Vince Morales is exciting. The kid hits hard, but he doesn't really have much direction in there. It's really uh, if he can't knock you out or or drop you and choke you out, he's going to lose a decision. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen here, man. I think that on the feet, Eamon's going to use that jab. He's going to pick him apart. And then when Vince Morales starts to commit to those bombs, duck under, take him down, and uh, kill time off that clock. So I'm going to go with Eamon Zahabi via decision here. Now next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Macy Chiazon. She's 4-0. And Sarah Morass is five and four. Well, Shaq, currently they got the four and zero fighter Macy Chiasan minus seven twenty. The comeback on Sarah Morass is plus five ten. So, I mean, 
knocking out Gina Mazzani, is that worth uh, getting minus 720 status in your next fight? I mean, generally I would say no, but man, she's been knocking pretty much everyone out that she's been fighting in the tough house. I mean, she's been finishing these girls, man. Her size, her size is a big factor. Uh, she's dropping the 35s. You know, Marassa, you know, on the other hand, is a really big girl, uh, a really big girl as well. You know, one thing about Morass is, man, her takedown defense has got to be some of the worst in the history of the sport, I mean, let's just be honest here. I mean, if you shoot on her, she is getting that. And the reason why is because, you know, I, I've uh, pretty much called her, like, in the past, you know, in her past fights, a, a fluke armbar girl. You know, she's one of these girls where she's going to get tagged up on the feet. She's going to get taken down. The only thing she's got going for her is that fucking armbar. And I'll give her credit. You know, that armbar is pretty good. So as long as Chiazon's on her P's and Q's, you know, doesn't get too comfortable in a matchup like this, uh, you know, she should be fine here. You never know, especially with the girls, you know, what's going on. You know, you could definitely be in for a little bit of surprise. But with Chazon in this particular matchup, Sarah Morass is coming off of Elda to, 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 uh, Talita Bernardo, you know, it's not, it's not good. And, uh, but she does, she does have an occasional, these little spurts of, uh, she dropped Pudilova, she took, almost submitted Andrade, she, uh, submitted Evan Smith. So just stay on your P's and Q's. This girl's gonna try an armbar at some point. And uh, Chazon should get this victory. Ian, you going with, uh, you going to parlay a minus 720 here, or you going to take the shot on the dog or just pass altogether? No, I'm going to parlay on the minus 720. You know my style. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm going to parlay a lot of fucking money on that one. So here's the thing. Um, the only reason why minus 720 makes a quasi amount of sense, it really doesn't, only because there's not too many in the women's, in any women's division, then get consistent first round finishes in general, you know, with the hands. It just doesn't happen for whatever reason. Strength, athleticism, you know, I, I spoke about this um, in the past, you know, when it comes to the, and this is not a knock on women. Sometimes the women's fights are the most exciting. For some reason, they just have better cardio than men. You know, maybe women just like running more. I don't know. But there's just a different level of athleticism, which separates the elite from the people that are trying to break through. That's why someone like Macy Barber can get away with some of the shit she got with in her last fight based purely on a different level of athleticism. That's what's going on here. All right. Moros doesn't, is just, just having that uh, Hail Mary armbar isn't good enough. Macy, you know, Macy's done a really good job of destroying who they put in front of her. Again, it's not, you know, it's not her fault. These people really suck. And I hate to be, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Like I respect all fighters. It's just, it is what it is. Um, they're just not UFC-level fighters. I think she's in a situation here where she's going to do great on the feet. If the fight goes to the ground, she's not going to follow to her to the ground. There's no point. Let her stand right back up. So, yeah, if you're, if you're going to play this, it's got it's to be Macy or stay away. I don't even think it's worth the money on a long-shot dog in this fight. I mean, just because of these odds, I think it's a dog or pass situation, but because I don't think Morass is going to win, it's a pass for me. I'm not about to parlay no 720. But, I mean, you you got to give uh, Chia Son a lot of credit. She comes from Fortis MMA. You know they're constantly out here producing a bunch of top prospects, and it seems like she might be one of the top prospects in uh, that women's division. And with Sarah Morass, I mean, they don't have any plans for Sarah Morass to go on a title run or anything like that. So it's just come out here, flop to your back, don't get the arm bar, and take this L. So I'm going to go with uh, Macy Chia Son as well. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Andrew Sanchez. He's 10-4, and, and Mark andre Barriou is 11-1. and one. 
Currently, they got Andrew Sanchez minus 165. The comeback on Mark andre Barryu is plus 145. So, uh, Shaq, you taking the dog odds on uh, the Canadian Barryu, or are you going with uh, Andrew Sanchez here as a favorite? Yeah, this is going to be a really good fight. Andrew Sanchez, he's the former Ultimate Fighter winner. I remember at one point, man, this guy was supposed to be a really good prospect in the middleweight division. Then he fell on hard times with that L against Anthony Smith. No shame in that, you know. And uh, Anthony's 185 days, man. He was known for coming after people in that third round after he gave you the illusion that you were going to, uh, you know, win a decision. So no shame in that. And uh, the Ryan James fight, man, he tried to knock James out. I mean, how can you not try to knock James out? I mean, just look at him. <laughs> His chin's wide open in the air and it didn't work out. And, you know, uh, going into that fight, I was saying, you know, you need to not try to knock James out because he's a scarecrow, man. This guy, you could hit him in the head with a bat, and for whatever reason, it seems like he just won't go down. So he made a tactical error in that fight, and he paid the price, you know, very viciously. And, uh, you know, he had that layoff between uh, in between that fight leading up to the Maluco fight. And I actually did think he made some improvements, man. He moved to TriStar, got a little bit more direction. You know, I feel like those first two fights against Trevor Smith and and uh, Smith, you know, he had a style where he was kind of bouncing up and down, trying to be like a like a Taekwondo guy, and he was dropping his hands a lot. But now in the Maluko fight, it seems like he's a little more stationary. Uh, just seems like he's got better boxing. We know he's a two-time national champion at the NAIA level. I think he's got a lot of BJJ accomplishments as well. Barry, all he's a tough guy. Seems like he's just pretty straightforward, likes to throw big hooks. Uh, he's got wins at 205, and he's fought some pretty good competition. I think he's a tough guy. I think that if Sanchez continues with the improvements that he's been making at TriStar, you know, he says the difference is composure. He said he didn't have any composure in those two wells, and, you know, he, he needed to switch things up, and he feels like he has composure now. So I think if he continues on that path, I think that we could start seeing better performances from Andrew Sanchez because in this particular matchup, I just feel like he's the more talented fighter. You know, I feel like Barry Alt's just uh, uh He's not the fastest guy. He's not the strongest guy. I feel like Barry Ott, he's a different fighter when he's moving forward versus when he's moving backwards. I just think Sanchez is the better fighter. So me personally, I don't think it's a dog or pass situation because I think you're going to start seeing a better Andrew Sanchez. But uh, to someone else, they might disagree. But I, I like Sanchez here for uh, for a 30-27. Ian, you going with the improving Sanchez or are you going with uh, Barry Ott to win in his debut? You know, I got to go get this t this uh, term trademarked. It's called the uh, George Gergel Award, right? <laughs> and, okay. Andrew Sanchez won the Ultimate Fighter because of how great his jiu-jitsu was and how dominating it was. He wasn't trying to be a kung fu, bounce up and down, kickboxing, white tie guy. He was trying to use his striking to get the fight to the ground and win. Because we know in the Ultimate Fighter house, you got to fight a lot in a short period of time. And health is everything. Yes, we want the bonuses for the knockout submissions, but if you're not healthy, you can't win that competition, right? Andrew Sanchez going to TriStar can't hurt him, obviously. Having Karaz in his corner, having a better game plan is wonderful. But if he doesn't smarten up, he is going to be on the losing end of what should be a very winnable fight for him. To Shaq's point, Barry is going to come forward. He's going to be aggressive. He's got really good hooks. He's got solid striking, okay? But guess what? When you're coming forward and you're throwing those wild hooks, that's the best time to time, a perfect takedown, all right? He does not have that great of jiu-jitsu compared to what Sanchez has. Sanchez's route to victory here is to be smart, go get in a brawl, okay? Use your striking to set up that masterful Brazilian jiu-jitsu that you got. It's where he got today. 
You know, I, and I call it, and I guess you guys are obviously laugh. You know why I call it the George Grigel Award. George Grigel, one of the best jiu-jitsu guys ever, when he was walking around the sport, decided, oh, against Mark Hominick, I'm just going to strike for three rounds because it's fucking cool. I'm going to lose. I'm not going to have a job when I could just take him down and submit him in 10 seconds. You know, and it was the same thing with the ultimate fighter. I, la- I laugh at these guys on this level. It's like, yo, get better where you're weak, but use it to get to where you're great at. And that's what Andrew Sanchez needs to do here. I think he will do it here. Faraz is a very intelligent coach. I mean, look at GSP. No matter how good GSP was with his kickbox, with his karate, everything, he always used it just to use his wrestling and get to the fight to the ground. Andrew Sanchez, I'm going with you. You better fucking win. Yeah, I mean, speaking of George Gurgel, you know, shout out to Georgia's own Cole Miller. You remember when he submitted George Gurgel? That was one of the biggest upsets at the time because wasn't he like a blue belt or, so, or something like that? He was a blue belt and he tapped out a black belt. It was kind of like when, uh, speaking of Georgia guys, when Jukau lost to uh, Kevin Burns. You know what I mean? So, hey, MMA is different than jiu-jitsu. But as, as far as this matchup is concerned, you know, when I first saw the plus money against Andrew Sanchez, I was like, oh, shit, this guy's 11-1. Let's see what he's all about. But then I dug deep into it, and I was very disappointed. I mean, the guy's slow. He's not the most athletic. And what I noticed more importantly is when he can't get you out of there in that first or second round, most of his fights tend to go to split decision. Going to split decision against an experienced guy like Andrew Sanchez is not a. It's not going to be a good thing here for Barry, you man. I think that uh, you better get that first round finish. And Sanchez has been getting better, man. And you, you watch his last fight and then you compare it to those two losses. Completely different guys. Physique looks better. His pacing. And I don't even hold that Ryan James fight against him, man. I mean, like Shaq was saying, the guy's a scarecrow. Marshman, the, the same shit almost happened to him in that third round. So, you know, when, when you have a guy that has his chin up in the air and, you know, you hit him with your best shot and it seems like, oh, I'm going to knock this guy out. I mean, sometimes you can empty the load. I don't see that situation happening here with uh, Sanchez versus Barrio because I think that Sanchez is going to be a lot more cautious here knowing that Barrio is known for knocking guys out whereas Ryan James was known for being a punching bag so I thought Andrew Sanchez got a little overzealous in that spot I think he's learned from his mistakes I think he's going to time the takedowns here go out there win a decision uh, since it is in Canada you know one of these judges uh, probably is friends with Barrio so I'm going to go with Andrew Sanchez via split decision here next up in the heavyweight division we got Walt the Big Ticket Harris, he's 12-7, and seven, and Sergey Spivak is 9-0. and oh. Well, Shaq, you know what happened the last time Walt Harris fought someone from the Ukraine? Uh, <laughs> he got knocked out in 16 seconds by Nikita Kurlov. Is history going to repeat itself here with the newcomer Sergey Spivak? Man, this is a really interesting fight because, you know, we got a newcomer from uh, the Euro heavyweight scene that's been fighting guys you know, like Tony Lopez and Travis Fulton, which like, uh, you know, he's been mentioning, like, that's not his fault. I mean, that's, uh, that's just the guys they put in front of him. And I mean, uh, Spivak, a quarter, he treated them, uh, you know, accordingly. And Walt, you know, he's one of these guys where <clears throat> I feel like he's more of an athlete than he is a fighter. You know, I feel like when he's able to stay out in space, use his athleticism, you know, against these guys like Surreal Asker, Daniel Spitz, Godbeer, uh, I don't know what Sherman. those Sherman. I don't know what their combined UFC records is. Uh, yes, it's but it's uh, you know. Uh, but then when you see him take that level up in competition, a la Shamil, a la Arlovsky, Krylov, uh, Verdum. I mean, if you want to count that, seems like he either fights to a close decision or ends up losing a close decision. So I, I feel like he does have a pulling the trigger issue. 
Um, his fight with Arlovsky was a little disappointing. You know, I thought in comparison, Arlovsky had the speed to stay in the pocket with Arlovsky. But uh, it just seems like maybe he just doesn't have that killer instinct when he is fighting a higher-level guy. Now, the big question is, is Spivak a, a high-level guy or not? Because he's making his debut, and we really don't know too much about him. Personally, from a betting perspective, there's no way in hell I could play Walt Harris at minus 160 just because I don't know that much about Spivak. You know, if, if this was a, a surreal Asker matchup, a Spitz matchup where I've seen them fight in the company a couple times, then yeah, for sure, Walt's going to do his thing here. But personally, I do think it's a dog or pass uh, situation. Spivak looks like he's got good boxing. It looks like he's got good kicks. It's just that his opponents really haven't fought back. So it's tough to say. I, I would have to lean Walt Harris, but like I said, this is a dog or pass situation. Walt Harris has, I don't want to say low output, but there's just these long stretches where it doesn't seem like much is happening like that Shamil fight. I mean, he literally handed that fight to Shamil on a platter. He was faster than Shamil. He had Shamil beaten to the punch the, the first round and a half, but he chose to take his foot off the pedal and he let Shamil creep back into the fight. I know Shamil's top 10 in the world and he's doing his thing, but uh, you know, who knows what the Spivak guys got. So I'll take Walt, but I, I do think it's going to be really close. In another heavyweight matchup, uh, you think Walt Harris finally puts it together here against the newcomer, or you think that Sergey Spivak is going to represent Ukraine in this debut? I think Spivak hasn't fought anybody, and I think everyone, you know, I think everyone's not really focusing so much on him as they are about what Walt Harris has, or rephrase it, has not done. Against Arlovsky, he did what he needed to do to win. I think he was truly afraid of blowing it, okay? Because we've seen Arlovsky come back from literally the dead, to win fights, and I don't think Walt Harris really wanted to be that example. I think he wanted to get that win on his resume and maybe build a little bit of confidence in himself. Even though beating Arlovsky is not the same thing as beating him, what, 10 years ago? When he was fighting him, it's still a name. The heavyweight division lacks so much depth. I think Walt's athleticism is going to play a part here. He's not a stupid fighter. You know, he does have a decent IQ. Like He doesn't really get himself in too much trouble. I don't consider it against Ware Doom. Ware Doom's done that to everybody under the sun. So you can't really, you know, get mad at him for being submitted there. It's hard to bet on Walt Harris here, but I will tell you, I'm quite surprised that the line is as low as it is. I thought the line would have been minus 210. At least you're talking about a guy who, and Walt Harris, who just beat Arlovsky, right? Talk about a guy who's making his debut in the UFC. He's fought literally nobody that we've heard of. And to Shaq's point, the bodies haven't fought back. Um, I do think that you could bet Walt Harris in this fight. If you're ever going to bet Walt Harris, bet Walt Harris, I think the time is now. So I'm going to go with Walt Harris. There's not enough on Spivak's opponents to give me any reason to believe that Walt hasn't seen better than this. And I think Walt needs to show up right now, especially after testing uh, with Usada the way he did. If you don't go and do something impressive now, the UFC is not going to be willing to work with you and do you favors, man. They're giving you an opportunity here either to embarrass you over a no-namer because of you popping, or they're giving you every opportunity to show us what they've been waiting for this whole time. So I'm going to go with Walt Harris. I mean, this whole waiting for him to show us what we've been waiting for shit, I mean, bro, like how many times do I have to break down a Walt Harris fight and say the exact same shit that when he finally puts it together, <laughs> like, like, look, you know, he had that, the knockout win over Spitz between all of us. He beat Godbeer. We know he got DQ, but you know, he's coming off those two wins. And then it's like, Hey, Walt, you've been putting in work. Here's Andre Arlovsky. Who's two and eight in his last 10 fights. Here's Andre Arlovsky on a silver platter. Go crush him real quick. And, uh, you know, obviously we had a bet on Walt in that spot and watching that fight. It's like, 
Walt, oh my God, can you please throw? Like this guy has no chin. Let the pull the trigger, my man. And you can't even do that against Andre, man. And for whatever reason, look, the guy's an amazing athlete, six foot five. When he connects, guys tend to go down. But for whatever reason, he doesn't pull the trigger. I just don't know what it is. And you guys are 100% right that Spivak's level of competition has been kind of shitty. But when we talk about the guys that Walt Harris has beat, Daniel Spitz, Mark Godbeer, Cyril Asker, Chase Sherman. Like, honestly, I think Spivak is uh, better than all those guys. And we don't even got to talk about that fucking, <laughs> that, that rapist Cody East. You know, fuck that guy. But, uh, look, all these guys that Walt Harris has been beating, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that Chase Sherman, Cyril Asker, and Daniel Spitz and Andre, you know, I know Andre's a, a former UFC world champion, but he's 2-9 and nine in his last 11 fights. I'm not convinced those guys are better right now than Spivak. But the thing is, we, we don't know much. But what I do know about Spivak, unlike Juan Adams, Spivak has handled the cans he's been fed accordingly. You know, my boy Juan Adams is out here going to the third round with Chris De La Roca, gassing out in the second, whereas Spivak is schoolyard headlocking guys, knocking guys out with head kicks, punches, the whole bit. So at least he's handling these guys accordingly. So, man... One thing you know, though, is if you're betting on Spivak, at least you can you can justify it to yourself by saying, well, if we don't get knocked out, Walt Harris is not going to pull the trigger. So that gives us a good chance to win. So if you're betting on Spivak, just don't get knocked out. And there's a good chance you win because Walt's not going to throw. So I'm going to go on the opposite side. I'm going to take the Ukrainian fighter and uh, I'm going to take him for the upset here. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, this is going to be one hell of a fight. We got Marab Duwalishvili. The V's are actually uh, pronounced as W's. Mirab Diwalishvili, he's 8-4, and four, and Brad Katona is 8-0. and oh. Currently, they got Mirab Diwalishvili. He's minus 170. The comeback on Brad Katona is plus 150. Oh, my God, bro. This fight is this could be fight of the night. Obviously, with Mirab, the pace, the amount of takedowns he gets every single fight versus the very nice jujitsu of Brad Katona. Which way you lean him? I'm a big fan of Marab's. I love his, uh, I call him a ball of energy, man. He's just, <laughs> he's full with energy, man. I love his fighting style. Like you said, the takedowns, 11 takedowns against a Division One wrestler in Frankie Signs. Then he comes back against Ricky Simone, who's got some of the better wrestling in the division, takes him down as well. Ricky also took him down. And then uh, he put on a takedown clinic against no takedown defense, Terion Ware in uh, Russia. So, Rab, I feel like he had a combo of uh, a little bad luck. You know, I feel like the reason the decision didn't go his way against Frankie was because allegedly he was sick going into that fight. He, he took a few shots to the body that he obviously felt that he, he made the whole crowd see that he felt. Two of those rounds got uh, swayed to towards Frankie's favor. So, if he was really sick, I definitely could see it. You know, his fight with Ricky Simone wasn't a bad show, and I thought his stand-up got a lot better in that fight. I mean, he floored Ricky Simone with a, with a straight right. Like you said, the pace, the, the takedowns. One thing I've noticed about Marab's takedowns is it seems like he takes guys down for style, you know. Uh, and when I say style, I mean he takes them down, he lets them back up, takes them down, lets them back up. <laughs> he takes them down, lets them back up, and it's fun to watch. And, you know, my my uh, concern with him in the past has been, man, is he going to be able is he going to be able to maintain this energy and i can maintain i mean yeah he does slow down obviously you're going to slow down it's a fight but i mean he can still manage to pull those takedowns off but like you said he really like i said earlier he really doesn't hold guys down i mean that's just a fact except terry on where who can't get up from bottom so you know this fight with katona i like katona i think katona's a smart guy 
I think that uh, the way he beat Bryce Mitchell on tough was very impressive, you know, and that was up a weight class at 145, so he is somewhat used to fighting bigger, stronger guys, but there's always been a common issue in Katona's game, game is that he does get taken down. The thing is, he can get back up, and the guy's a disgusting black belt off his back, and Marab does put himself in bad positions a lot, so, you know, as long as Marab stays on his P's and Q's, which it's kind of hard to, <laughs> to say that he will, because Marab is a ball of energy he's all over the place I do have a feeling that Marab's gonna be able to just pretty much what I would say hold the kid against as well like the kid might have some good moves some tricks up his sleeves but Marab is so strong and he's got so much energy that his effort rate might you know just might be too much for a guy like Katona but I do fear that Katona you know, might put him in that one spot where he can't get out of with that jujitsu because the move he put put on Mitchell sold me on the kid's jujitsu. I was like, okay, he is a real black belt. I feel like Katona might honestly be the better boxer as well. I do think Marab's stand-up is going to get better as we see him go along. I mean, he floored Ricky Simone, so I feel like it's 50-50, but Katona, man, he, he put it on Mitchell, and Mitchell might not be on. Uh, I actually heard Bryce Mitchell say he went to go train in, uh, in New York with Marab, and he said Marab dumped him on his head like 10 times, so... <laughs> Marab's known for dumping guys, man. You know, I'm going to pick Marab just because, like I said, the effort, the the, the will, just the, there's going to be one guy in there that's pushing forward and pushing the pace. Ain't no one going to gonna push Marab back. I mean, that's just the facts about it. So I do think he's going to win a close decision here, but I do fear that Katona could put him in a couple bad spots, man. If one little slip up on the mat, Katona might send Marab home, but uh, I don't want to say it's a dog or pass situation just because I feel like the force of Mirab might be too much, but I'll, I'll go with Mirab. Yeah, and uh, I know there's a lot of conflicting views on this fight, and for good reason, man. Both these guys are studs. Which way are you leaning? This one's hard for me um, because obviously, you know, loyalty towards Sarah Longo. Even Sarah Longo, even though I, I've never personally met Mirab, um, you know, I, I haven't been with that gym for a while. Here, here's what, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go non-biased here, and I'm going to actually speak from the heart here and really try to hammer this down here here is the issue here i think brad i first off i don't understand these odds at all um i don't think that marav has shown us anything that he should be that much of a favorite over brad katona who's done everything right in his career in the ufc and marav has really not um you know we could talk about pace and ball of energy all day but that hasn't made clay guida a champion yet it hasn't given him a title shot yet you know, if you want to talk about pace Pace wins fights against guys that are not known for their cardio. Brad Katona has not shown me that he has cardio issues. He comes from a very disciplined training camp, you know, with John Cavanaugh out there. And Katona is a very high-level IQ fighter. His boxing, I think, is a little bit more technical. Even though Marab comes from the Ray Longo camp, Marab gets too wild too quick. He gets too fancy. He loves those spinning throws. He makes too many mistakes. You know, he gets too caught up. I don't think he's going to necessarily be able to take down Katona at will. I don't think Katona's takedown defense is that bad. Compared, listen, carry on where I don't like to, I don't like to disrespect fighters here, but that, but let's be real to ourselves here at this level. You should not be getting taken down and smothered to that point where you can't move for that long of a period of time. It just doesn't happen. The Ricky Simone fight, it showed us a lot of things about Morocco, even though it was early, just, the, the IQ wasn't there. Too much excitement, too much bam, 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 not, not enough patience. Brad Katona has shown such a high level of patience and intelligence in his fights, along with ridiculous skill. I really thought when this fight was going to come out, it was going to be minus 135 Brad Katona. So because he is now an underdog here in this fight, I really kind of like him as the underdog. You know, Marab striking is good. 
Is it great? <clears throat> no. There's a lot of openings. On the ground, when he does take guys down, Shaq, you gave us a very strong point. Seems like it's a lot for style instead of position. Okay? If you take Katona down and don't end up in half or side, okay, Katona will position himself to either sweep or get you to submission or get right back up. Okay? We're not in the sport anymore where if you take a guy down, let him back up, take him down, let him back up. All you're doing is draining your own energy. You know, that's as much taxing it is on the guy who's falling. The difference is the guy who's falling isn't carrying anything. So if, in my opinion, if you're going to play this fight, I would take, I'm leaning towards, I'm going to go with Brad Katona here, even though I'm a Sarlar guy, I'm going Brad Katona. I think this fight will be standing way more than people think. I think that Katona may end up on top. I don't know if Marab's jiu-jitsu will be able to hold up against his. I don't think so. And I think that ball of energy at some point, he's going to realize if he doesn't control that ball of energy and use it towards his advantage and learn how to be patient with it, he is never going to reach that potential, and he could be really, really solid. I'm going Brad Katona. Ian, uh, love you, bro, but you got to apologize to Murad for that Clay Guida comparison, bro. I'm not saying, hold on, <laughs> why? Uh, you know what? Time out, hold on. There is nothing wrong at this stage in his career being compared to someone like Clay Guida. Listen, Clay Guida is all right, is a legend, successful. Is he ever going to be a champion? No, I'm just saying what I was kind of just addressing was if we're going to pick people based on energy level, then Clay Guida would always get picked. You, can't, you know, there has to be a level of control. Look how much better Guida has been as he's become seasoned and learned how to use that pace in a more controlled way. He's not getting caught in submissions as much. He's not being frantic. His striking is now being actually useful. As opposed to back in the day, he was bouncing around like a fucking jackrabbit, you know? <laughs> And he, he, don't, he didn't even know when he was going to shoot in. His takedowns were haphazard as opposed to now things are controlled. Now he's able to go three rounds. I mean, listen, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you guys train or whatever it is, but when you're trying to conserve your energy, right, you still have to put out X amount because you want to always be better than the other guy in all aspects, right? We always knew Clay Guida's biggest advantage was that it was his cardio. But just because you're better cardio, if you don't know how to use it properly within your skill set, it means nothing. That was kind of my point. I think if Marab can control it better and be a little less haphazard with his striking, like all that spinning shit, he would be so much better. He would not have lost to Ricky Simone. You know? He would have you – know, I mean, think about how many times Simone capitalized on a missed spinning back fist. That was kind of my point. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I know what your point was. Uh, just giving you a little shit because uh, – you, you just want to bust my balls a little? I feel you. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Because, because one thing I got to say about Marab is that he's coming out here putting up serious takedown numbers. 11 takedowns in his debut, six ta- uh, takedowns in his sophomore appearance, five takedowns in the third fight. Whereas, uh, I mean, we're, we're only going to sit on this for one second here. Whereas the last time Guida put up that kind of that many takedowns was against Robbie Peralta 100 years ago. But I get what you're saying. In his prime, you know, I see the comparison. But – Back to this matchup, man. So, Marab uh, Diwali's really, he had that USC debut against Frankie Signs where he allegedly had the flu. So, on his worst day, he's going out there scoring 11 takedowns against a D1 wrestler. Now, on one hand, you can look at it as, well, he got 11 takedowns and he still lost. And it's like, man, that is kind of embarrassing. But if you believe him, I do believe him that he had the flu. I mean, I think that's why uh, he was getting hurt against a guy who's not known for hurting shit on the feet. I think that... They uh, he did her favorite, <laughs> but I think they run it back nine times. And, well, uh, well, well, Dan, let me let me ask you a question. Though. Frankie Signs, right? You said he's, he was a D one wrestler, strong wrestler, but that was like what fifteen years ago. True, true. You know what I'm saying? So, so that 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 that's listen. 
Marab's takedowns to this point have been impressive. My whole thing is, uh, but look who it's done it against. If he's able to do it against a guy as composed as Katona, I'll be, listen, I'll be very, I'll be going to be wrong in this situation. You know, it's a very tough fight to bet. It's just Frankie signs. All right. I mean, to your point right there, and I didn't mean to cut you off and go on a rant. You just, you got me fired up with that Clay Greedon nonsense <laughs> now. All right. But, uh, you got me fucking fired up. But uh, pretty much, you know, when it comes to something like Frankie Science, look what you said. He got taken down a lot with the, and, and he had the flu. Who gives a shit? No one's 100% going in. And if he was that bad, pull out of the fight if you can't do it. You know, but number two, Frankie Science is, was hurting him on the feet. And I don't think he's ever hurt anyone on the feet. This is where my concerns come from when you're placing money on somebody at this point in their career. That, that's kind of where I was going with that. It's a fair point. That being said, uh, I think Murab will be able to do this to, to Brad Katona in terms of stacking up the takedowns. The question is, what happens when he gets the takedowns? That's my question. Because I have no doubt in my mind he's about to come out here and put Katona on his back. It's just what happens after that. Because you can't sit here and act like Katona doesn't have a serious black belt in jiu-jitsu because he absolutely does. And it seems like his get-up game is on point as well. He's just a very cerebral guy. He doesn't take unnecessary risks, but he's very, very skilled and... Man, uh, if Marab hasn't been uh, putting together all parts of his game, then he could get caught here with something. But, man, that fight with Ricky Simone. So, a lot of people say it should have went to the scorecards. I mean, Marab got finished in that fight. And let me explain to you what I mean. It was 2 to nothing, Marab going into the third round. And uh, Marab went for a takedown, and he knocked himself out. His head hit the mat. He knocked himself out. Immediately got swept uh, with a guillotine. So, the guy got knocked out and choked out in the Ricky Simone fight. But I still thought it was a big improvement from the Frankie Sines fight. And then the next one against Tarion, even though, you know, we can say what we want about Tarion's takedown defense. Uh, Tarion, in my opinion, was coming off a win over Dukenwa. I thought he beat Dukenwa, or at least fought better than a 30-27 says. Uh, Marab went out there and handled business accordingly. Now, I know that uh, this is going to be a way bigger threat on the mat than Tarion where there's no, there's no doubt about it, but I still can't sit here and ignore that Marab did look better. And, Man, one thing about Marab is the dude just goes all day. And if this fight goes to the scorecards, I do think that Marab is going to win this fight based on the fact that he's always getting takedowns. He's always throwing volume. He's always in your face. He's never backing up. Like Shaq said, the guy's a ball of energy, but uh, he actually lets things go. He's from Georgia. Not here where we're from, but over there, uh, you know what I'm saying, uh, next, to, uh, next to the Ruskies. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't want to say that to Marab, though. But uh, look, real talk uh, – I'm going with Moravia decision here. I think that the reason that he's going to win a decision here is because Katona's takedown defense isn't the best. His jiu-jitsu is unbelievable, but Morab's in here working with guys like Aljamain Sterling. He's in there taking uh, Matt Serra's uh, gi jiu-jitsu class, so I know he's going to be ready to deal. I know he's seen this before. Whether he gets caught or not is another question, but I know that this ain't going to be nothing he's, he ain't never seen before. So all that being said, I'm going with Morab Dewalishwili via decision win here. Now, this one's going to be very exciting because next up in the featherweight division, we got Killer Cub Swanson. He's 25 and 10. <laughs> is he still Killer Cub? <laughs> and, uh, and Hurricane Shane Burgos is 11 and 1. Uh, you know, my boy Cub Swanson had a great career, man. I know you remember when he was on his run, when he beat Dustin Poirier, Dustin Poirier Dennis Seaver, Jeremy Stevens, DuBronx, Ross Pearson, George Roop. Since that point, you know been a little bit inconsistent uh you think he gets back on track here against uh one of the taller featherweights in the modern day generation of featherweight athletes 
this is going to be a good fight. You know, like you said, we remember when Cub was on that streak, when he was one fight away from the title, you know, lost to Frankie Edgar. Then he came back against that young prospect who turned out to be a future world champion, Max Holloway, and got finished there, a broken jaw. Was it two broken jaws back-to-back? Yeah. Yeah, so then, you know, he has the layoff and uh, comes back, puts on, you know, quite a little streak. Don't want to downgrade his opponents, but it was Hakron Diaz. You know, he had a good record at the time, but we we know what happens to Hakron in the UFC. He gasses out and he starts getting dropped. Tatsuya Kawajiri, you know, when that guy is not injecting himself with the finest Japanese steroids, he loses. <laughs> and then uh, Duho Choi... I mean, real quick, who's Duho Choi beating? Duho Choi beat Juan Puig, Tiago Tavares, and Sam Cecilia. Yeah, so, and then uh, we got my boy, the GOAT, Artem Lobov. I ain't going to disrespect Artem. Artem's the GOAT. So, you know, he beat Artem Lobov, and then his three his three last fights, definitely a clear step up in competition. Ortega, uh, former title challenger. Frankie Edgar, former UFC champion. And Anato Moicano, a top five UFC featherweight. So, definitely see when he raised up, and, and he did have a layoff... Uh, somewhat of a layoff in between that Artem and Ortega fight. And, you know, things just definitely haven't been going this way. Uh, you know, I feel like Cubs in an interesting spot because I can tell personally in these last three fights, you know, let me not say for the Ortega fight, but for the last two fights, the Edgar and Moicano fights, it just seems like he doesn't have that same fire, that same energy. Yeah, we know Cub, he's gonna, he's gonna swing those big looping hooks and fight with his hands down and, you know, look real pretty and look, you know, real flashy out there. And, you know, in certain fights, man, that, that'll work out for him. Um, it just seems that when he's fighting either a young prospect or, you know, the Frankie Edgar fight, in my opinion, I feel like, you know, he, he I feel like he could have fought better in that fight. And I feel like it was a mental issue. I felt like it was a guy that's showing, hey, I'm on my way out. I mean, look, Frankie Edgar, former champion, but it, it's pretty clear that Frankie's not the same Frankie guy. was on concussion protocol. He, that fought, fight. he got knocked out 30 days prior to that. And let's just be honest here, Frankie's not the same guy. The only reason why Frankie Edgar's still in that top three, four is because on strictly name value. I'm not convinced at all that these guys all ranked behind him wouldn't beat him because we know that the featherweight division has completely changed from the days of the Swansons, the Lamases, the Eggers, the Seavers, back when Poya was there, Bermudez, Zombie, you know. So, you know, I do think that Cubs, Eric Koch, (laughs) I do feel like uh, Cub Swanson is on his way out. Now, Shane Burgos, on the other hand, really young kid, uh, trains at Tiger Schulman's. We know he's going to come in prepared for this fight. He's really big for featherweight, probably at you know as big as it gets for featherweight. We know that Shane likes to stand in the pocket, likes to march guys down. He had a great fight with Calvin where he kind of implemented that game plan. Things didn't work out because, you know, Calvin Katar's <laughs> just on a different level. And then Cub Swanson, and I know, how can you say that? Cub and Qatar is ranked number 15, and Cub's been ranked, you know, top 10 his whole career. I just think, personally, at this stage in their careers, all these guys ranked behind the Swansons, the, the Lamases, the Eggers, and these guys are better than them. So, you know, I feel like it's going to... I feel like Cub's going to take his fourth L in a row here, man. I think that Shane Burgos, you know, he's a young kid. The only issue with Shane is he definitely fights with his hands down. And got to respect Cub Swanson's power. I mean, he, he's got a, a extensive history of, you know, styling on guys. But uh, actually, when was his last knockout win? Dennis Seaver in 2013. Well, his last knockout win was <laughs> six years ago. So, you know, I, I do think that Burgos could possibly create some chances for Cub to land a couple punches. But I just think... In comparison to a Kurt Hollibaugh, for example, or a Calvin Katar, that those guys throw with more firepower. Those guys are fighting with a little bit more spirit these days than Cub Swanson. Look, 
Cub, he he's got a family now, and and that's great. And I just think that he's been in the he's been in the game for so long that you know when he takes that L when he's on a four or five win streak to Ortega, you know that pretty much ruins his title shot again. You know, it, uh, since two, he's been a pro since 2004, I just think that his time's running out. I just think that these young guys, this is how the fight game works, man. I just think that these young guys are going to start picking these, you know, these mini legends off. And I see the same thing happening here. I think Burgos, firstly, I've noticed that when Cub fights these taller guys, it seems like he doesn't have his legs behind his shots. He's leaping up, you know, trying to trying to touch these guys. And I just don't see it working out. I see Burgos being too young, too fresh, too hungry. You know, this is the biggest opportunity of his career to come out and beat a guy like Cub who's on a three-fight L streak. And I got Shane by a knockout victory. Yeah, and uh, you going with Shane Burgos or Cub Swanson? First, I got to address this Frankie Edgar situation. Please, may I? Um, here's the deal. Frankie Edgar is definitely not where he's ranked based on main value. If you go on who he's beaten and who he's lost, listen, what happens to Frankie is this. He beats everybody, and then he loses to Josie Alda. And then he beats everybody, and he gets unlucky against Brian Ortega. You know, it was the, Ortega's never knocked anyone out. He gets knocked out, whatever it is. Then he goes back, and he beats who he needs to beat. And the problem is that it's not so much that there's these mini legends. Like, Cub has never been where Frankie is. You know, Ricardo Lamas has only been to the top one time. Frankie is still more than able to compete within the top three, top five in that division because he can't. Not because of the name value. The name value is definitely there in a division that lacks depth. And because of the lack of depth, Frankie's probably one win away from fighting Max Holloway. They could probably even give him the title shot because there's no one else really there outside of, you know, unless you have him fight like Volkanovski, you know, in a situation. Um, you know, they just announced Hanata Morciano, right, is fighting Korean Zombie. You know, like I said, I, I just, that division is, is tough in general because of the lack of depth, recycled names. But that's what happens sometimes. That was really the case at welterweight for the longest time. I mean, how many times were you tired of hearing about Josh Koscheck? you know? It was just, you know, and then, honestly, what, two years ago, it was a Carlos Condit situation as well. You win once or twice and you're back. So now let's bring us back to Cub Swanson for a second. The biggest problem with Cub Swanson, the lack of evolution in his game. But what got him to where he was was great. The problem, though, he's, he, just, he hasn't gotten any better. And I think he's fighting just a bigger, younger, faster version of himself. You know, Shane Burgos' biggest issue is his confidence or cockiness in the situation. You know, to, to Shaq's point, he fights too much with his hands down. You can't do that against a guy like Cub, who is really method or route to victory here is to get in the distance and reach high and swing wild. Because that's how he'll catch the jaw of Shane Burgos. So I think Shane Burgos' size, athleticism should win this fight. If you're going to take this fight, you can't bet on Cub Swanson because <clears> – <throat> It's not a good matchup for him stylistically. However, would I love to see Cub get a win and then be smart retire? Yes. Do I see it happening against a guy who kind of is a better version of him? Oh boy, I'm gonna have to. I, I gotta go, Shane Burgos. So, uh, are you looking forward to this uh, Frankie Edgar getting a title shot against Max Holloway? You think he's got a chance there, Ian? <sighs> I just don't know who. Well, let's let's look at it this way, right? Who else is there that you can market? that type of a fight that could headline a pay-per-view. It's well, not Volkanovski. He's not, he doesn't, his name's not there yet. Who else? Well, I agree with you because on any resume, you get a win over Frankie Edgar. That's a former UFC champion. It looks great. I mean, that'll only help elevate uh, Max Holloway's career. But 
the, the reason we're having this debate a bit too early is because Volkanovski's fighting Aldo next week, and yeah, he might not have the name today, but he goes out there and beats a guy like Jose Aldo, I guarantee you they'll be talking about him in that title picture. They will kind of have to, yes, but you want to know what I would do if he does, if he runs through Aldo, not if he beats him by decision, if he runs through Aldo, you want to know what I would do personally? I would then have Volkanovski fight Edgar, give Max a little bit more time, and then let, you know, because here's the thing, right? Volkanovski beating Aldo, it's good. It's strong. Listen, Aldo obviously can still compete at a high enough level. But can you imagine how much more marketable he'll be if his one streak is Mendez, Aldo, Edgar? How much, you know what I'm saying? Like, outside of Ortega, there's no one else there who you can literally say to him, hey, we need you to beat another guy, beat another guy. There's literally nobody else there, you know? Hey, I'm down with that. Let's let's, uh, use Frankie Edgar as a stepping stone. I'm cool with that, Ian. Well, it's it's not so much a stepping stone. (laughs) I like to call it as a litmus test. Because quite frankly, I think Frankie can beat Alexander Volkanovski. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know who I would pick in that fight yet. It's kind of hard, you know. Volkanovski showed us a lot against Chad Mendez, but Mendez kind of pulled a Mendez, you know. <laughs> it kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Chad Mendez has the skill set where he a skill set where he should be fighting for a title at this point with his striking, with his build, with his wrestling, and he just for some reason is dominating, and then he just loses out of nowhere. You know, when he lost to Connor at that time, if you would have given him a full camp, I put my money on Mendez right there. He was dominating Connor until he had that adrenaline dump, you know? Um, so that, that's what I would do in that division. I know we went off topic here, but it's fine by me. I 100% would go Volkanovski if he gets past Aldo, have him against Edgar over the summer, end of year at MSG, then go for it with Holloway, whoever wins that fight. Give Holloway some time, man. He his. He needs to rest because we both know, we all know, three of us know, if he's going back to 45, if they don't let him do it the right way, we're going to get that concussion strokeish looking thing again with Holloway, and we don't want to see that. Yeah, that part we agree on, man. Let my boy Max take a little time off, ice that head, you know what I'm saying? Because Dustin Poirier hits like an absolute truck, but... uh Look, as far as Shane Burgos and Cub Swanson are concerned, I mean, my hat's off to a guy like Cub Swanson. It was fun while it lasted, man. Uh, I, I remember, uh, you know, when he fought Dennis Seaver back at UFC 162, hit that judo throw, knocked him out in that third round. I remember when he beat Dustin Poirier back in the day, the Ross Pearson knockout, the George Roop KO. I mean, this was Cub Swanson's run. That's back when uh, he was the man. That's back when he had a case to get a title shot, but they gave him that number one. Well, it was supposed to be a number one contender fight against uh, Jeremy Stevens, and basically what happened was uh, Dana White wasn't exactly sure who won that fight at the end of it, and he wasn't very impressed with... uh, with Cub Swanson, so they said, you know what, let's fight Frankie Edgar, and uh, Frankie absolutely destroyed Cub Swanson, tore him a new one, and then uh, Max Holloway went in there and sealed the deal, and since that point, I mean, he's going out here, and no disrespect, I mean, he handled Tatsuya Kawajiri accordingly, he handled Hakran Diaz accordingly, now, let's talk about this Duho Choi fight, where, you know, everyone always references, what about the Duho Choi fight, first of all, who the fuck has Duho Choi beaten? <laughs> You know, are, are we sitting here acting like Duho Choi is a top 15 guy or something? Because uh, I think that's the biggest joke I've ever heard in my life. Duho Choi's three UFC wins are against Juan Manuel Puig. If you guys know who that is, please let me know. Sam Cecilia, I haven't heard from him in a while. And Tiago Tavares, who, you know, was taking L's up in PFL. So that's uh, who Duho Choi has beat. And Cub Swanson, who's allegedly a top five guy, is struggling with, with uh, Duho Choi. I mean, it, I mean, he did beat his ass, but... 
Uh, Cub, uh, Cub got rocked his fair share in that fight too, man. Then the Artem Lobov fight, I was there in Nashville. I mean, I like Artem, but why is Artem taking you down and stuff, Cub? Why is Artem taking a, a round off you, man? Like, you're supposed to be a perennial top 10 guy. You're supposed to kill the guy. You're supposed to run through him, man. But uh, listen, the Brian Ortega loss, I can't talk shit. But what about that Frankie Edgar loss? Like, you've been waiting four years for this rematch. The guy absolutely mopped the floor with you. He broke your jaw. He embarrassed you. Like, here's your chance for redemption. You say you've been waiting four years to, to get a chance to punch Frankie Edgar in the face, and Frankie Edgar gave you 15 minutes to punch him in the face because he didn't land a single takedown that whole fight. And Cub got the fight he wanted and still didn't pull the trigger. And then it's like, well, you know, Cub's had the broken jaws, but he's still super exciting and, and this and that. And then you put him in there with a guy like Hanato Moikana, who's a top five guy on planet Earth. Now, we all know Hinato for his amazing jiu-jitsu. He's very long. But one thing about Hinato, uh, someone let me know how many knockouts Hinato has on his record because the answer is zero. So a guy with zero knockouts on his record is going out there dropping you with a jab. I mean, that if that's not evidence that Cub's on his way out, then maybe I'm blind here. But uh, I, I think Shane Burgos, look, yeah, obviously he fights with his hands down and you got to be like, Shane, can we maybe tighten that up a little bit? But the dude's way bigger. He's six feet tall. He represents that new generation of featherweights because these guys coming up, I mean, you saw his fight with Kurt Hollibaut. You might give him a shit for getting dropped. Kurt Hollibaut is a six foot tall featherweight. Cub Swanson is five foot six. I mean, Cub Swanson in 2019 is better suited at 135 pounds, but he's so old that that shit's never going to happen. So it's time to take that fourth L in a row. It's time to give Shane Burgos the biggest win of his career. It's time to get out that top 15. And uh, it's time to get out that top 15. And like, let's make room for these up and comers guys like Calvin Cater, guys like Sodiq Youssef, guys that uh, are going to represent that next generation of featherweights because it's been a fun ride, Cub. I tip my cap for your service. You're one of the most entertaining guys, but uh, now it's time for the sport to move on. Hey guys, Dan here. Just wanted to remind you that Kyle Marley's bets are available at bestfightpicks.com. As you know, in the midst of that historic 200-unit run, and last month of April alone, added an extra 12 units to that. I mean, one unit equals $100, so I know 12 units, that's uh, 1.2K last month. I know an extra 1.2K never hurt anybody. So this weekend, it's going down UFC Ottawa. He's got a big bet on an underdog as well as four other plays. Bestfightpicks.com. Co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division. We got Derek Brunson, he's 18-7, and seven, and Elias Theodoro is 16-2. and two. Currently, they got Derek Brunson minus 120, the comeback on Elias Theodoro is plus 100. Ian, it's a really interesting matchup, man, because uh, Elias Theodoro, he's known for uh, winning these decisions. He likes to kick the air, he likes to run, but Derek Brunson, uh, when he goes full Brunson, he tends to get guys out of there. Do you think Brunson has what it takes to knock out Elias Theodoro and hand him his first stoppage loss? I think Derek Brunson has the power to knock out anybody whether he does it or not is a whole different story um i think Derek brunson's new training camp is going to be the deciding factor here elias theodoro is a solid point fighter but i think Derek's going to have to utilize his athleticism here and his wrestling in order to get this win i think he's the sh physically stronger fighter um this is kind of a really hard way to break this fight down elias theodoro doesn't try to finish fights He's, and he even mentioned you know, he's going to set a striking record where he needs 118 more strikes. Um, I have a weird feeling Derek Brunson is going to push this fight. He's going to make it ugly, get it against the cage. And he's going to finally utilize his wrestling, wrestling, and he's going to soften him up in the clinch. I have a weird feeling Derek Brunson is going to finally get a win here. Being over at Henry Hoops camp has probably done wonders for him. A lot of guys have a lot of good stuff going on after they go there, and they do really well with wrestlers there as well. And, you know, I know a lot of guys down here who have been training with him and say he looks great. I kind of like Derek Brunson here. 
Shaq, it's interesting because when you see Elias Theodore in a co-main event, you might be like, oh my god, his fights are so boring. But we broke this fight down uh, between the two of us. And the way these two match up, this is actually going to be a very exciting fight. Which way are you going? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a good fight. Brunson, you know, in the past, he's been a guy that he's kind of been unpredictable. You don't know whether you're going to get the calm Brunson or the Brunson, like in the Whitaker fight where he's uh, charging at the guy. Which was kind of, that was a stunt. I don't care who it's against, whether it's Whitaker or whoever, man. That was a stunt. But, you know, Theodora, like you said, he's not a threat to knock Brunson out. Brunson, this is one fight where he knows that, hey, this guy can't knock me out. All he is is a runner. He's a point fighter. And, you know, Elias is a tri- he's, he's a trickster, man. I'll give him props. He's he's found a way to make his style work. I kind of classify him as just one of these max effort guys, man. He doesn't really... what you call him to me. <laughs> he's a try-hard white guy. <laughs> he tries super hard, and I give him props for that, man. Like, because he's not athletic. He's not fast. He's not the strongest. But he just finds... He's a dog, man. I'll give him. He'll, he'll get in that clinch. He'll be grimy with you. like, And he'll beat you at that game. So, And he'll, he'll more than likely, he'll land more strikes than you just because his strikes are really soft. So, Brunson, like you said, I, I have a, a speculation that the, the Henry Hu factor, you know, just give him more options out in space instead of just, you know, a little bum rush and try to get the, get a KO here. So, I think Brunson's the, the better athlete here. I do fear that if he cannot get the first round knockout that it's going to be an ugly, ugly, ugly fight. And I do think Elias Theodoro has more heart than Derek Brunson. I think Elias is an extremely tough guy. For example, you let uh, Maheda hit some of those shots, uh, hit Brunson with some of those shots that he hit Elias with, I guarantee you Brunson's taking a canvas snap. But, uh, you know, Elias is a really tough guy. So uh, I do got Brunson. He's a better athlete. He's faster. And I think that the opening for that one clean left is there. I mean, look at Elias. He's all over the place. So I will pick Brunson. But I do think Elias is somewhat live just because there is a chance that Brunson's been figured out now. There is a chance that, you know, Brunson's, how old is he now? 36, 37? There is a chance that, you know, uh, he's going to start to hit this decline. Uh, but I do, I got to pick him because I just know that Brunson doesn't fear this guy at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well said because with these guys that Brunson's been losing to, Jacare, Israel Desanya, Yoel Romero, Robert Whitaker, these guys actually present a real threat. And we always criticize Brunson. Oh, he runs in with his chin in the air and his hands down. It's the ugliest thing you've ever seen. But in this fight, go ahead and do that to Elias, man. I, I If I was uh, Brunson's coach, I recommend you start this fight just like you do any other fight. Immediately double underhooks, pin the guy up against the fence, separate, and try to kill the guy. Go full Brunson on Elias Theodoro in this spot because Elias ain't about to counter and knock you out. I mean, if he does, holy shit, right? But uh, listen, I I think Brunson has the ability to come out here and knock Elias out, but if it goes three rounds, it's going to be super exciting because low-key, when Brunson starts to gas, he starts to fight a little bit like Elias too. You know, he starts flailing all over the place. It's not the prettiest thing you've ever seen. So if this is a three-round fight, it's actually going to be very entertaining, but I kind of lean towards that Brunson knockout here. Main event of the evening in the lightweight division, we got Donald Cowboy Cerrone's 35 and 11, and Al Iaquinta. Raging Al is 14, 4 and 1. Well, Ian, currently they got both fighters at minus 110. It's a dead pick em. Uh, Which way are you leaning, man? I am going with my friend Al Iaquinta. I think this is his time. I think that fight against Kevin Lee showed us everything we need to know. As much as I am thrilled and happy that Cowboy has done work in his last couple of fights to get to where he is, and now that his son has been new motivation towards trying to get that title, I think he's going to run. I think this is a very bad matchup for him. Al is, I mean, listen, 
everyone, their mother probably had Kevin lean that last fight beating Al. I don't think anyone expected Al to outstrike him the way he did. Just everything. Al is probably, I think Shaq said it too, the most underrated, unknown fighter in this division. And the UFC better understand, this is why they're doing this right now. If Al goes in there and finishes someone like Cowboy, you now have a star. We know he's outspoken. He's not afraid to get on the mic. However, he's been way more mature and more disciplined in what he is saying. All right, on short notice, he went five rounds with Habib. Okay, imagine what he could do on a full training camp. I'm not saying that he's going to win. I'm just saying that's not easy what he did. He, and he put up a fight, all right? I don't think that Cowboy is better than Al anywhere in the situation. Um, Al's got fantastic cardio. Al is physically stronger. I think he's faster. Um, Al's ground game is so unassuming and extremely underrated because you just haven't seen it. Guys, this kid is a phenomenal wrestler, all right? And he's got great jujitsu. I don't see him getting caught, getting caught in anything. Okay. Um, as long as I love Cowboy Cerrone, um, I just, and again, it's hard to not be biased in the situation. I'm really proud of where Al's come a long way. I, believe me, I was there the first day Al walked into our gym from Miltich training camp on Long Island. And he jumped literally into the cage with George Sertoropoulos and went toe to toe with him. Sertoropoulos was a much heavier fighter. So long story short, I'm going Al I Quincy here. I think we have a new star. I can't wait to see the challenges ahead for Al. Believe me, I would love nothing more to see Al fight Justin Gaethje at some point. Al versus Dustin Poirier is exciting. Um, fresh blood. We got a new star in our hands, boys, and it starts Saturday night. Al Quinta with the win. Ian, man, appreciate you taking the time. I know you got to go right now, so we'll let the fans know that they can follow you at Parker Cage Hero. Uh, Ian, any message for them? Uh, yeah, just do me a favor. I, first of all, I appreciate all the support. Obviously, everyone had a good time on the last show. I hope they like it again. Uh, it's an honor being on, on here. Keep following me. I'm going to post my own picks tomorrow on my channel. And uh, just have a good time Saturday night. We're, we're in for a treat with that main event. Yes, sir, we are. Uh, Ian, thanks again for the time, man, and we will speak soon. You got it. So, Shaq, main event of the evening. You going with the Cowboy Donald Cerrone, or are you going with uh, New York's own Ally Akinta? Man, I agree with this fight being a pick'em 110% because, you know, I do feel like Donald Cerrone, although he is seeing success as of recently with the wins over Perry and Hernandez, both of those fights, you know, I, I would say uh, his opponents got a little too ahead of themselves. Firstly, Hernandez was running his mouth and when in fact he had never fought shit in his entire career. I mean, he starts nothing away. <laughs> he starts Darius in less than a minute. You know, it's kind of hard to tell what type of fighter he really is. And then, you know, he beat the Frenchie OAM. So then they were rushing him up to Cowboy and we took advantage of that. Cowboy was plus 170 and uh, Cerrone did his thing there. And, you know, in that fight, you know, I did see a little, at least early, you could definitely see some openings for, you know, a better guy to possibly put some pressure on Cerrone and take him out with overhand rights to the head. I'm not saying that he's going to be a little chinnier at 55, but I do think he has tough cuts to 55 as he's, you know, he's already said in, uh, in the uh, open workout. So, Ali Akinta, I feel like his best attribute is probably that right hand. I'll give him credit, man. He can crack. He can, he can definitely hit with that right hand. My only concern would be for Ali Akinta is I have noticed that as the fights progress on, those hands start to drop lower and lower and he's a guy that you know he kind of relies on on his reflexes for being such a short stocky guy i think his reach is only 68 inches and uh i mean he's very accurate with his right hand he's got good body shots we've seen but cerrone seems like he's been taking the body shots a lot better these days man if al drops those hands in those late rounds do not be shocked if a head kick 
a head kick gets through. So, uh, and I could definitely see uh, Cerrone. I think Cerrone has the edge on the mat. I know Al has the uh, Sarah Longo. But what's, what's Al Iaquinta like known for? Throughout his career, it's getting tapped out. So you know, uh, so I, I feel like Cerrone definitely has the the edge on the mat with the arm bars, triangles, pretty much everything. So I feel like Al might have the power advantage, the firepower advantage, but I feel like Cerrone might be the better overall fighter. Now, it's just a matter of who can capitalize, man. Cerrone, you know, he's got a new son. He's feeling damn near invincible. Al. He's still got a lot to prove. There's a lot of people, you know, still not on his train right now, man. Ugh, it's a tough fight to call, but I'm going to go with Ayakenta. I think he's younger. I think that at some point, you know, I could see both guys getting hurt, but I think at some point he might clip Cerrone with something upstairs. But I could so see Cerrone getting a late finish here, man. I'm telling you, if this fight hits a mat uh, with him on top, he, I think he could submit Ayakenta. So your pick's Ayakenta? Yeah. So, man... I'm actually going the opposite side of both of you in this spot, but I completely respect what Ayakinta brings to the table. Obviously, the right hand, we got to talk about that, but the guy's paid his dues. He's been in there with vets of the sport, the Joe Lozons, the Ross Pearsons. Then he stepped up to the Jorge Masvidal's, and even though I cashed a, a plus 115, I believe, on Al Ayakinta in that spot, and we all thought he lost, one thing I respected about that performance was he took that ass whooping up front in that first round, and even if you think he won, even if you think he lost the second and third, at least he had the output. At least he tried. At least he wanted it. At least he didn't back up after losing the first round. Clearly, so the guy's definitely got heart. He's definitely got balls. And more evidence of that is uh, when he fought Habib Nurmagomedov. He had a whole training camp for Paul Felder, and then 24 hours notice, they let you know actually uh, you're not fighting the Muay Thai specialist. You're fighting uh, the best uh, sambo guy in UFC history, you know, and maybe even the best lightweight of all time, right? He's 27 and no by now. So Al uh, had no issues uh, taking that fight. Now, I know a lot of people praise Al's performance in that fight, and I, I kind of don't, and that's no disrespect to him. I respect the fact that he took the fight on short notice and just that he stepped up there and fought him. He didn't quit. I mean, the guy's, the guy's a badass, but to me, getting 50-43, I, I don't really view that as, oh, man, this guy's a future champion. Like Everyone was trying to act like that 50-43 performance was a great sign of things to come. To me, it, it just spoke to the kind of confidence, the kind of balls, the kind of man that Ally Kenta is, but it didn't really tell me much about his skill set, except the fact that he was able to survive. That was pretty impressive, but he didn't really offer much. Next fight against Kevin Lee. I mean, dude, he, uh, he lit up Kevin Lee really badly, but... I, I mean, me and you know Kevin can't box, but we can't tell that to them right now, but... Uh, I mean, but there were points in that fight where he got taken down and he got his back taken. And, you know, against Kevin Lee, you might not get choked out, but you get your back taken by a guy like Donald Cowboy Cerrone. And, I mean, the guy's been submitting people for the longest fucking time. And, I mean, the guy's been fighting since 2006. And he's seen so many different versions of Ally Kinta throughout the years. In the WEC, he fought Jamie Varner. That was the that was the Ally Kinta back in the WEC. In the UFC, he fought Eddie Alvarez. That's like uh, the old school. UFC version of uh, Ally Kenta. Now he's fighting the 2019 version. I mean, he's seen this before. Now, is there a chance that Al's hands are too much? Yeah, of course. I mean, the guy's got a good right hand. He comes from a good camp. He mixes it up to the body. And he's somewhat well, well-rounded. You know, for someone that only gets a rep for being a, a boxer for MMA, the guy also throws high kicks. The guy also has a jiu-jitsu game. But, man, I think that Cowboy's jiu-jitsu game is better. And I think that Cowboy has a very sneaky double leg that he tends to get on almost every single person he fights. It's just that he's known for his high kicks, his check knees, that no one ever talks about that nice double leg that Cowboy has in his arsenal. Well, I think that's going to be a big weapon here. And I think that contingent on him surviving the first round, not because Ayakinta gasses or anything like that, not at all, but simply because 
Cowboy's the kind of guy, he's historically known for being a slow starter. Once he finds his range, once he's in his rhythm, that's when he starts to tee off. That's when the knees, the high kicks, the punches and bunches, the takedowns, the submission series, I mean, that, that's when everything comes about. So I think that if he doesn't get put away in the first uh, few minutes, that he will find his range, he will find his timing, and he will submit Ally Akinta. I'm going to go with Cowboy Cerrone here to get his third win in a row by finish. Well, now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, it's going down this Saturday in Ottawa. Donald Cowboy Cerrone in the main event against Ally Akinta. How's it going? Good, man. I always love uh, cowboy cards. Uh, cowboy fights are never boring, so I expect this to be a good one. Uh, and hopefully we can make some good money, too. Well, that's the plan. And, I mean, right away with the main event, you see Ally Akinta, 8400 Donald Cerrone, 7,800. I mean, you can make a case for either guy, but I have a feeling the winner's going to win in one-sided fashion, so I personally wouldn't stack. What's your take on it? Uh, I actually think the stack is solid in cash games. Um, mo mostly what I'm looking for in the stack is a guaranteed more than 100 total points, and I think we get that here. Um, so I definitely think it's playable, but my preferred play of the two is Cowboy, so I also think you could just go underdog only if you want to. I, and I also wouldn't talk anybody who had a strong lean on Iaquinta off of a solo Al lineup either. But I do think the stack is in play. But uh, the line is even now on the betting line. So we get $600 of value here on Cerrone. And that makes me like him even more here. Um, there's no question in my mind if he wins, he's going to score 100 or north of. Uh, and probably end up on the optimal lineup. I'd be shocked if he didn't end up on the optimal lineup with a win. So he's definitely one of my preferred plays here. But if I quint the wins, I think it's a round one or round two knockout, and that's definitely going to put him on that as well. So this is a great all-in fight for GPPs. Um, either side, I'd be shocked if they weren't on it with a win, just more so with Cerrone because he's almost always 100 or, or more points with his wins. And I Quinta, his last five-round win, uh, against Lee was only 86 points. So if he went out there and scored 86 points and a win here, um, he probably wouldn't end up on the 25K lineup. I just don't see um, that being the score that he would get in a win. So it's pretty much all in for me. If I was making 10 lineups, I'd probably go like seven Cowboy, three Iaquinta, something like that. Um, Cowboy's going to be a lock for my cash lineup. I might stack, not sure, but I will definitely be rooting for Cowboy to get his hand raised here. Well, Kyle's going to stack. That's why you give out the DraftKings advice and not me, my man. But look, this co-main event of the evening, we're going to need a pick on this one because Brunson's taking on Theodoro. We know that first-round finish is a path to victory for Brunson, but if he doesn't get it, Kyle, things are going to get very interesting. So which way are you going? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to choose a side here, I think it has to be Brunson. He has a 100-point upside you know, with the knockout, and it would have to be early. It would have to be a first-round knockout for him to get it. Um, but with his $8,200 price tag, a second-round knockout would be fine as well. It's just he has to get that knockout. If he doesn't get the knockout, neither one of these guys are going to score highly. Um, Elias is really a fade for me. I, I don't see him being on the optimal lineup. I don't think he has 100-plus upside unless he can actually test Brunson's chin, which I mean, he doesn't have the heaviest of hands, so I just wouldn't want to rely on that. I'll probably be full-fading Elias here. So if there's a play in this fight, it's Brunson. But I think this is a good fight to fade. And it's the it's the co-main event, so it will bring some ownership in on its own. Um, 
So maybe just fading that ownership is the way to go and, and hope that it goes to a decision. If that's the case, they're not winning anybody 25000 Are you saying that a lot of Canadians are going to be rostering Elias Theodora this weekend, Kyle? I mean, maybe. And it doesn't even have to be Canadians. I mean, it is only $800. A lot of people are confident in Elias. So people don't really think about how much a fighter is going to score in a win. They're just trying to get wins. So I could see him being popular just for that reason alone. So, Bantamweight division, Mirab Devalishvili is taking on Brad Katona. Man, Shaq said earlier on the show that uh, DraftKings players must love Mirab. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, man, Mirab is DraftKings gold, as you would say. Um, gotta love Mirab. He's one of my favorite plays on the board here, if not my favorite, actually. So, um, that's not really because I'm... I'm super confident in him getting the win. It's just that I'm super confident he scores highly if he does win. That's more what I'm going after here. If we're if we're gonna just bank on him getting the win, you could go ahead and bet him. But this is DraftKings. We're looking for points, and he's got one of the highest ceilings on the card. Um, uh, interesting little stats here. He is one and two in the UFC. Brad Katona is two and zero, oh, but Marab still averages more DraftKings points. So just that alone tells you the ceiling this guy has. If he wins, it's likely going to be takedown heavy, maybe 10 or more, and you just got to love that. So I will have a lot of Marab. He'll be one of my highest-owned guys on the card. And I really don't think you have to invest in Katona. Even with 2-0, and he only has a 76.3 average, and that's only 10x his, his price tag here. So I'll probably – fade Katona if I make more than 20 lineups maybe he makes a couple but uh this is this is uh all Marab here for DraftKings and hopefully he gets the win because he'll be in a good amount of my lineups so heavyweight division Walt Harris has taken on the newcomer Sergey Spivak and what's interesting to me about this one from a DraftKings perspective is when Walt Harris wins fights it's usually two two different ways they go down he either brutally knocks his opponent out which that'll score a lot or he wins these decisions where he doesn't pull the trigger, and that will not score a lot, Kyle. So I got to know, man, are you interested at all in the newcomer? I mean, all of his wins, for the most part, are first-round finishes. We know Walt Harris has trouble pulling that trigger. Or do you think the experience of Walt Harris and the athleticism will be too much here? Uh, well, I am picking Harris to get the job done here, and I do think it's going to be by knockout. But it is a good fight to target both sides of. I really don't like a lot of the cheap underdogs this week. So the newcomer is, is solid for that reason um, because this is the highest line for fight doesn't go to a decision at minus 265. So that makes this fight a good fight to target on both sides. I just prefer the Harris side. I think he's more likely to get it done. Um, but, man, like you said, if he doesn't get that knockout, this is going to be a boring fight or he's going to lose. So I think fading it and that inside the distance line, that's going to make it popular on DraftKings as well. So. Fading it might be another way to go. Um, just fade both sides and hope it is one of those boring decisions. But if I, if I have to play this fight, and I'm definitely going to go with Harris. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be overweight on him or not, but I will definitely have some Harris lineups. I'm interested in the newcomer, but not sure how much ownership I'll have on him. He's definitely in play, though. So, Nordin Taleb is welcoming Kyle Prepolek to the UFC. Kyle's normally a 55er. He does have some experience taking on UFC vets. Do you think he's ready for this short-notice step-up uh, here uh, Saturday night? No, nah, I mean, not especially a weight class above where he fights. 
I just think he, he took this fight to get his foot in the door, get that second UFC fight. And Taleb's not like some guy who's going to brutalize him in there either. He, he'll probably go three rounds with Taleb and just get beat up for three rounds. And it won't be won't be too bad. He'll still get that, that UFC money in the second fight. But my issue with this fight is Taleb's price tag. You can't really want to pay 9300 when Chiesa's only $100 more. So I, I don't see me having much Taleb. And I think if you're going to roster this fight, I would rather just go ahead and take Kyle. I mean, he's got a better name. And if he wins, it's probably by a knockout. So... Uh, it's probably a fight for me to fade, but if I had to put it in a lineup, give me the underdog. So last but not least, and he does have a good name, but I'm going with Nordine <laughs> here. Last but not least, the return of Eamon Zahabi. We haven't seen him since the night that GSP fought Bisming. He's taken on Vince Morales, who's been pretty exciting so far, just hasn't tasted victory. Who do you think gets back on track here? Uh, I do like Zahabi to win this fight. Uh, I think he's going to be better everywhere it is in canada he's gonna have the crowd behind him so to me everything leads to a zahabi decision here um but that's the thing if he's getting a decision at 9k that's not gonna help us a whole lot i don't see him being on the winning lineup um so i don't really think i'm gonna have much zahabi this weekend and i think morales actually makes for the better play he is a live dog here he's super cheap and it he definitely has knockout potential as well so if I was going to play this fight, I'm actually going to take the dog. Even though I'm picking him to, to lose, I think he's the preferred play of the two. Uh, but it, it won't be a fight I'm super heavily invested in, period. Hopefully it'll be a fun one. I just don't see it being really high scoring, and I do think Zahabi gets his hand raised. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday in Ottawa. They can follow you at Big Marley 3, and your bets, which are red hot, and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, man. Come sail the bets. Get that right up. It's uh, 19,000 words this week, uh, so it'll keep you busy for some time, give you some good info. Even if you're uh, not playing DraftKings, it's only $7.99. I think it'll, it'll help you in the betting game as well. I break down every single fight in depth, uh, and I also give you how I'm attacking each fight on DraftKings. So I think you'll enjoy it. Less than 8 bucks. Let's get it. Bestfightpicks.com. Kyle Marley will speak soon. All right, man. Take, Take care. care. Good luck. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle with Shaq. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Ottawa? My fight to watch is going to be Brad Katona versus Marab uh, Davalishvili, man. I think, like I said in the past, Marab's a ball of energy, so I'm definitely going to tune into that. And I respect Katona's skill set. I think he's a really smart guy. I want to see what he does to, to win this one, man, because uh, the way he breaks guys down is very impressive, but I love watching Marab fight, you know, all those takedowns, you know, uh, the spinning head kicks, you know, the slam, so that's my fight to watch. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to 100% be I bet, tuned. Uh, I bet DraftKings guys love Marab, you know. Oh, uh, DraftKings guys <laughs> do love Marab. Uh, I'm going to be watching that fight 100%. For me, my fight to watch is Shane Burgos versus Cub Swanson. You know, I want to sit here and be like, remind me the last time you saw a boring Cub Swanson fight, but I can remind you the second Frankie Edgar fight. <laughs> but, but I'll ask you the same question with Shane Burgos, and uh, you can't tell me shit. You know, there's never been a boring Shane Burgos fight. And just the way these two uh, styles match up, it will make for an exciting fight. Uh I mean, I think it's going to be one-sided, but it'll be exciting while it lasts. And for that reason, Burgos versus Swanson is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Ottawa? My fighter to watch is going to be Donald Cowboy Cerrone, the future UFC Hall of Famer. If he gets another finish, which is a very good uh, possibility of, how can this guy not be in the Hall of Fame? He's him uh him and jim miller and these guys man you gotta put them in so he's my fighter to watch he's got a big fight you know he's, he said that new kid uh is new motivation so we'll see if he remains undefeated as a dad 
And, uh, I mean, if he wins this fight, he's got to be right up there, you know, one win away. I feel like whoever wins this fight could, is, should fight Gaethje next. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. My fighter to watch is uh, Derek Brunson. I mean, this is a guy where, obviously coming off some very embarrassing losses, but like we mentioned in our breakdown, Elias Theodore doesn't present a knockout he's threat. At, at least on paper, <laughs> right? I mean, watch uh, Brunson actually get knocked out here. But, no, I mean... Elias doesn't present that knockout threat. So that means Brunson's able to do what he always does, which is charge someone recklessly. Brunson can go full Brunson in this fight. So for that reason, he is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday on ESPN Plus. UFC Ottawa, Iaquinta versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Our bets are available at bestfightpicks.com. Been on the underdog ways all year, killing it. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and Spotify. Follow us on Instagram at Best Fight Picks Official. Thank you all so much for the support. We sincerely appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.